Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Rent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. In the eyes of many people, Mississippi is still primarily an agricultural state. What they don't know is that we have made tremendous strides in the manufacturing sector. Agriculture and manufacturing actually go very well together. You have a population that is very comfortable working with their hands and making things. We like to say, if you can make it, we can make it in Mississippi. Joining us today is Josh Bays. He's a partner at Site Selection Group, where he leads the company's industrial practice. Throughout his career, Josh has developed various cutting-edge analytical platforms enabling clients to optimize their location decisions. Additionally, he is a critical part of the company's executive team and helps provide and implement strategic direction. With a background in the field of geographic information sciences, Josh is considered an expert in industrial site selection, where he integrates real estate and economic incentive strategies for the company's industrial clients, which includes a few names you may have heard of, Adidas, Amazon, Boeing, Harley-Davidson, just to name a few. Please welcome Josh Bays. Good to have you here with us this morning, Josh. You know, the manufacturing sector is important to the state of Mississippi, as I was mentioning earlier, and really critical part of our economy, and it accounts for the majority of now state-assisted economic development projects. Based upon these projects, or the projects that you see in the pipeline, is this a trend that you see, at least at the national level, continuing? Or do you think we can expect to see us hitting either sort of an equilibrium or even a slowing of the trend of manufacturing on the uptick in the United States? Yeah, well, well first and foremost, I appreciate you having me. It's always good to, to be in Mississippi. It's, it's a fantastic state, um, fantastic economic development ecosystem. Well, thank you. So kind of getting to your question about overall project activity, specifically looking through the production lens, you know, no doubt about it, the last couple of years have been an economic boom across the country as it relates to manufacturing. Um, you know, the data that comes out that measures activity isn't always indicative of what we're seeing in the pipeline as far as deal flow goes. Anecdotally, I can tell you that 2018 was the most active year that that we've seen ever um and and i'm dating that back to the early 2000s this year activity is still pretty good and looking in the foreseeable future um it looks like that activity is going to sustain itself i think at no question some point in time it's going to slow down from kind of the leading indicators that we see and the activity we see come across our desk I'm not concerned that that's happening in, within the next three to six quarters. Um, but I think it, it's, it's hard to dispute that we're close to peaking if we haven't already peaked. And at some point in time, we're going to hit a lull, but it's not something that as a firm we're too terribly concerned about. Is that peaking or is that sort of hitting a saturation point where we've just we got enough? Or am I not maybe even using the right terminology? Yeah, you know, well, the real answer is nobody knows, right? Um, but the way that I kind of look at this, a lot of the activity, the production activity in the United States is driven by consumer demand and driven by the healthiness of the economy. And so that's what's going to drive production activity in the in the states in the foreseeable future. 
the economy has been on an upward trajectory for quite some time now and is starting to, I don't want to use the word stall. Stall has a negative connotation because there's still growth. And technically, I think the definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of, of downward decline. We haven't had that yet. So we're, we're, we're not in a decline. But I think it's foolish to expect it to continue that upward trajectory. You know, and U.S. manufacturing activity has slowed to at least a near a three-year low in June of 2019. And likely anyway, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of factors amid anxiety over trade tensions between the U.S. and China and, of course, many other countries and tariffs. Are you seeing this anxiety spill over to your manufacturing clients who have been looking for a new site location? Are they trying to pump the brakes maybe and wait and see what happens? Yes and no. So obviously trade tensions and tariffs and the trade dispute between the U.S. and, and China dominate headlines. And it's it's difficult to look at any media outlet in a business context and not read something about it. When I look in my little world of corporate site selection, which is helping companies either expand, consolidate, or relocate their production footprint – it's not having as tremendous of an impact as the national media would lend it to believe. So it's not really affecting our day-to-day lives in the world of corporate site selection. Now, that being said, depending on the nature of a particular company's business, where they're shipping products to, where they're getting inbound materials from, it can have a meaningful impact and it can prolong that decision-making process. But by and large, the majority of the projects that warrant engaging a firm like ours are pretty well defined, and they're servicing a specific need from the consumer market or the business market. Um, and so, you know, tariffs be damned, those projects need to move forward to fulfill obligations. Um, but but every now and then you get you get projects that the decision-making process might be slowed off, slowed down a little bit and, and delayed because of uncertainty, but it's, it's general uncertainty and a volatile marketplace. But I'll contend that when you talk about trade disputes and how it affects corporate site selection, the rhetoric that's going on between the United States and Mexico is having a significantly bigger impact on domestic production projects than the rhetoric that's going on between the U.S. and China. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next. You know, we've seen the rise of manufacturing in Mexico. A lot of automotive uh, manufacturing has moved down there. Uh, They've been thriving. And even though no tariffs were placed uh, or have been enacted, you know, it is obviously still a concern in the corporate world being a neighbor. And then, of course, you've got Canada to the north where uh, they're, I think, suggesting approximately about 24 I'm sorry, European Union, I wasn't talking about Canada, uh, the $24 billion worth of tariffs. So we've got some countries and regions that we do a lot of business with uh, that there's still a lot of uncertainty beyond just China. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, it's often referred to as global marketplace, and that's absolutely accurate. You know, supply chains are don't necessarily recognize political boundaries of countries. And over the course of the last, well, you know, decades or so, Mexico has become a good alternative to manufacturing goods offshore. And I can think back, you know, 
five, seven years ago when we would be engaged by companies more than half. And when I say companies, I specifically mean production projects. Um, more than half of them would ask us to evaluate Mexico as an alternative to the United States because there was a value proposition to be had. Now, over that period of time, costs have escalated a little bit, but we still saw a lot of activity. And then when President Trump got into office, that came to a screeching halt almost overnight. And I think a lot of that was the publicity that that President Trump put on the negative publicity that President Trump put on American companies locating investment in Mexico um, instead of that investment in the United States. But what we've seen now that he's been in office for a couple of years and with the tensions, trade tensions with China, we're starting to see that interest in Mexico start to peak a little bit. And it's my belief that if we're talking in a context of economic development in the Southeast United States, and what is the primary competition for the Southeast United States for production projects, I feel pretty confident that the answer to that's Mexico. And I feel confident that in the foreseeable future, it's going to be Mexico. Is that based upon labor primarily and being able to keep the cost down? It, it, now, now, don't let me paint any false pictures. It, manufacturing goods in Mexico has some challenges. It has a lot of challenges, and there are a lot of hidden challenges that an operating cost analysis doesn't always show. And happy to talk about that. But, yeah, historically, it's been lower labor costs. That being said, labor costs have risen significantly in Mexico, specifically border communities um, and some of the legacy production facilities. I mean, just about every automotive OEM and their tier one suppliers are located in Mexico. You know, the aerospace industry has flocked there. The medical device industry, the electronics industry has flocked there. But it, 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 it's raised wage rates. The, the thing about Mexico, though, is it's still cheaper from a workforce perspective. And as long as we have political parties from two countries that are getting along well enough to let goods and services flow across the border, it's pretty convenient from a logistics perspective as well. And it's pretty convenient to get goods and services in and out of Mexico from other foreign markets. Um, it, it simply stated, it's very helpful that they're right next door. Talking about labor, you know, the national conversation in site selection projects still seems to be focused on workforce, workforce development. Uh, nationally, we're seeing really low unemployment across the country, leading to thin labor pools in a lot of markets. What creative ways are you seeing communities address this issue? Uh, because I can tell you internally and around the state, I've worked at the state level and the local regional level. Uh, we're always trying to find new creative ways, A, to help market our workforce and to find new critical partners in engaging and developing uh, a deeper pool of uh, workers available to companies to help attract new companies. Yeah, that's that's the no doubt about it. Workforce is the biggest challenge that we see in this industry. And when I say this industry, I'm painting it from a broad picture of economic development as well as 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 those folks working from the corporate side, whether it's the company themselves or or service providers like us, you know, finding an available and qualified workforce 
is incredibly difficult to do all across the country. So there's not a community that has a monopoly on that issue. In our experience, the communities where their workforce story is resonating with companies the best are those that have a very strong and well-established workforce development infrastructure system, one in which the local employment base, the local companies are very engaged in workforce development um, process, and one where they're getting students in the pipeline as early as possible. And sometimes that's, that's in middle school, high school arena. Um, that's kind of the litmus test of those workforces that have the potential to be stronger than others. Because if you evaluate workforce on just simply the availability of qualified workforce today, it doesn't look good anywhere. I mean, I'm always fond of saying you can't find a hundred machinists sitting on a couch anywhere in the United States. Cause anybody that is employable is basically employed. And I know that can be a controversial statement, but it, it really is true if they possess the skill sets that are required today in modern manufacturing environment. Do programs such as like the ACT Work Ready program, and you know, you may go into a community and they say we have uh, X number of people holding these certificates. Does that mean anything on the site selection, corporate site selection side? Um, or does it at least help paint a picture of a community that is being proactive and trying to help uh, grow the skills of their workforce? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a meaningful proxy of the availability of a qualified workforce, but I think the second part of your statement hit the nail on the head. It is certainly an indication that the community takes workforce development seriously and is is willing to invest proactively in anything that they can to ready the workforce. Um, I would be lying if I said it completely resonates with the majority of companies, and I think a lot of that's just is just simple ignorance of what what those types of programs entail and, and the nuts and bolts of them. Well, they're all a little different, and there's several yep. of them. Exactly, exactly, and. You also have to think most, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but most companies that are going through some type of site selection process to locate investment, that's not their day job. They don't do this every day. You know, it's it's something that they do, you know, at most every several years. And a lot changes in this industry in that period of time. And so it's it, it takes a fair amount of education on our part with our clients of what some of these programs mean, but very rarely, very rarely are our clients familiar with some of the programs you're talking about. I'll tell you where we have had success, uh, if I can share this with you, is that uh, I've seen existing industries uh, buy into it and move people who have achieved achieved different levels of certification, whatever program uh, they've adopted, and move them up in the hiring process because they've had good success uh, bringing in talented people and retention has uh, been higher with those people. So you talk about case studies and more and more consultants are asking us for, do you have a case study? I guess this is a place where you can show we have this program, this company prefers candidates who have been through this training and their retention numbers have gone up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that, that type of, 
testimony re- does resonate very well with companies. And I'll contend that the biggest advocate for a community's workforce and the programs in place for workforce development are existing companies and their experience. And I know in the economic development industry, it's it's sometimes difficult to get everybody to play nice together in the sandbox. Um, but that whenever whenever companies are spending time in a community and really putting that community under the the microscope near the end of the decision making process i've seen testimony from companies kind of single-handedly sway that decision one way or another that's great insight you know workforce obviously typically one of the top site selection decision factors in site selection um how important is it also for a community to have a well-prepared site and beyond that, maybe marketing that well-prepared site. Incredibly important. Um, you know, yes, workforce drives projects. Again, I'll contend that everybody's almost in the same boat from a workforce perspective. Um, you know, the the next biggest thing that drives projects, and for some projects, it's actually the, the, the biggest location driver's time, speed to market. And the quickest way to reduce the site selection process is through real estate strategies. And what I specifically mean are choosing specific real estate options that enable speed to market, whether that's an existing building or a well-prepared site that requires little pre-due diligence. Um, it's, it's important and it's a function of time. Now, that being said, I think it's also important to touch in this in this conversation to touch on what the inventory looks like nationally for industrial product, but specifically in the Southeast U.S. You know, we talked a minute ago about how manufacturing activity specifically in the Southeast has been booming. Well, what that's done is constrain the industrial real estate market. And I, I use real estate as a catch-all term for existing buildings and sites. Um, a lot of very competitive sites have been gobbled up across the Southeast over the last three years. Um, and, you know, the economic development ecosystem in the Southeast does a fantastic job at product development, but it's been difficult to keep up with that. And so the market right now is as constrained as I've seen it in my career from an existing ready site perspective. And so those communities that have all of the other pieces in place that drive corporate investment that also have a competitive site, they, they certainly have a leg up on the competition. Does having a, and I use my air quotes here, certified site make a difference? Uh, I know I've talked to people in the past and they're like, criteria is so different from community to community that it's almost like, uh, some of the workforce programs. It doesn't mean a lot to the end user, which could be your client. Yeah, you know, the there are probably three or four topics that are a lightning rod with me <laughs> in this industry. And the, the topic of certified sites is, is certainly one of those. Um, I'll, I'll say the controversial part of this first. I think the process of certifying sites might be one of the biggest rackets in economic development that I've seen in my career. There are a couple others that are probably pretty close, but that's I, I and, and let me let me explain what I mean. The process for certifying a site and all of the things that go in it 
are certainly necessary because that process makes a site ready. But the designation of being certified carries absolutely no weight. And the reason that this this causes me some angst is because I've seen communities, states, and utilities invest an ungodly amount of resources chasing that designation. What makes a site competitive? You know, the basic things, infrastructure, you know, some environmental due diligence, some soils testing, that sort of thing. And the rigorous process that I've seen some of these certifications go to go through, it's a waste of resources, both time, energy, money for a designation that does not resonate with the corporate audience. So don't mistake what I'm saying. Having competitive shovel-ready sites is important, but having the seal of approval that it's been certified is relatively meaningless. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. In other words, you know, the due diligence and the investment in the property is is where the value is. Uh, no, no doubt about it. And you, you don't need a designation to do that. And I, I'll also say the economic development community is, is profession is very well established and developed. Just about every economic developer across the southeast knows what it takes to make a site ready. Now, they might need a consultant to help them put all of the pieces in place, but it, it's not rocket science. And it, it just causes me angst to see some of the resources spent to, quote unquote, certify sites. What can a community do right now uh, to be better prepared before pursuing a manufacturing project? Because not all communities are really positioned to uh, attract and have a sustainable manufacturing uh, presence in their community. Yeah, you know, you, you've you got to make sure that your value proposition is very well crafted before you start spending a lot of resources going down that path of attraction of, of production projects. Um, And I'll also contend that before you deploy a lot of resources, attracting production projects, communities ought to take a real strong look at their existing production base that exists and see how they can foster growth there. Um, more often than not, that's that's the lowest hanging fruit. But, you know, those communities that are hell-bent on going down the attraction path of production projects, crafting that value proposition, and and that value proposition has, has several legs to that stool, whether it's workforce or sites. Um, you know, one thing we really haven't talked about is logistics and accessibility drives projects, specifically in the production arena, at least early on in the site selection process quite a bit. And business environment and a cohesive economic development and political leadership, kind of having all of those pieces in play before a lot of resources are deployed in attraction. If you could look into your crystal ball and tell us what trends you believe are coming for the 2020s in North American manufacturing, what do you think maybe the the next growth sectors are in the manufacturing area? You know, I don't have the foggiest idea. Um, <laughs> that's that's the that's the candid answer. But you know, kind of talking high level, and then I'll kind of talk specific industries. You know, we uh, at Site Selection Group we have we subscribe to a, a, a few economists that we kind of listen to their take on the economy and and what their forecasts look like over the next ten fifteen years. Um, I think. 
at some point in time in the next couple of years, we're going to hit some type of recession. I don't think it's going to be anything like what we saw in in the Great Recession. And then I think towards the end of the 2020s, due to aging demographics and a variety of budgetary issues at the national level, we do have a chance to dip into a pretty a pretty significant recession. Um, and and that scares me a little bit. But I, I think that we're a good seven, eight, nine years away from that. As far as trends from an industry perspective, you know, there's always going to be products that are need to be made and consumed locally. Um, food comes to mind. You know, there's been a big push in that particular industry, and we've had a lot of success in it as a firm of the food industry, the big push of reducing shelf life on projects. I mean, projects, listen to me, reducing shelf life on products. Um, you know, the, the whole shift to going organic and eating healthy and stuff. And basically what that means is food needs to be produced close to the consumer. I think that trend is certainly going to, to continue. You know, I've read a lot of articles about how 3D printing, um, that technology is, is going to advance significantly in the next few years. And that might be what, um, it is a big contributing factor in America's manufacturing independence from other countries. Um, but basically what that means are projects are going to be a lot more capital intensive and less labor intensive. I think that's a trend, certainly, um, to keep an eye on how we capitalize on that stuff from an economic development perspective. Your guess is as good as mine. And we're taking this one day at a time. Exploring lightning rod topics with site selection group partner, Josh Bays. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Appreciate you having me. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.